The first lesson is written in the ninth chapter of Daniel, beginning with the first verse. In the first year of Darius, the son of Azarus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, our Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. 
Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is the word of the Lord. When we first met Daniel, now in our ninth week uh, together with him, he was a teenager. And uh, he was having his life turned upside down, entering into exile into Babylon. Now, as scholars report in the ninth chapter, and as we hear about the vision, and what a beautiful vision we just heard, Be Thou My Vision, Daniel is as some scholars have reported, around 80 years old. Now, it won't take you that long to read those nine chapters, by the way. You can still have time to dig in. But the word for us, the vision for us, the vision for Daniel now in chapter 9, it takes a, a turn, and it's difficult to fully comprehend all of the details. And when I said it was the, one of the most controversial or at least debated uh, chapters in the Bible, I meant it. As Daniel himself begins to understand that God is doing something more. He had been reading the book of Jeremiah, specifically chapter 25, where it said the exile would only last 70 years. And he knew that that 70-year clock was coming to conclusion soon. And yet, as you keep reading, you'll discover in the rest of this chapter that God is about to do something even greater than get his people out of Babylon. It's something like 70 times 7. And we'll get into some of these numbers a little bit. But what if I were to tell you, if somehow it was uh, my sad duty to report that the pandemic was about to be extended 490 years, right? I would be grateful for this pulpit that I could duck down and hide behind so as when you started throwing things at me, I would have some protection, right? This is in part, part of the kind of news that Daniel gets, except it comes with an eternal promise. Instead of saying, though, how dare you, God? Remarkably, he says, we deserve it. Please forgive us. And we get these 19 verses of repentance and prayer. It's a whole lot uh, different than uh, how we'd maybe want to respond. If you'll excuse another sports analogy, the difference between a quarterback saying after the game and pointing the finger at his offensive line for uh, causing all the problems, right? Instead of realizing there were a few fingers pointed back at himself, right? Daniel doesn't do that. 
when he begins to grasp this vision that God is doing something even greater than he first imagined, it led him to prayer. It led him and it led a prayer of repentance for him and for all of God's people. And one thing that's not debated as often as this chapter gets debated, in particular how precisely each symbolism should be understood, but one thing that's not debated is the overall message that God is doing something greater and that his people, as we'll read in verse 23, are greatly loved. My prayer for us today is we encounter Daniel who digs into God's word that it would lead us to dig into his word as well and call us into prayer as well and that we would be led to the same place a deep relationship for in the first time throughout the whole book of Daniel, he calls and uses the name Yahweh for God. Now this is significant and important. This is the name of our covenant God, the God who has established a relationship with his people. And he's reminding God that you are Yahweh. And he is being reminded that God is Yahweh. He has established a covenant with his people. A deep relationship. And so this prayer is relational. Between a God who has made a relationship with his people. Then and now. And so what we'll discover in this text together, is that there's a dual, as one scholar wrote, theme of Israel's infidelity, as well as God's mercy. A theme that will be played out from the whole Old and New Testaments of people's unworthiness, articulated by Moses in Deuteronomy, yet this divine message of law and gospel, of sin and grace, will extend throughout the whole scripture. And as we encounter it, we'll discover a message even greater than first imagined, even greater than ending the exile in 70 years, which God will eventually do through Nehemiah and Ezra. But we'll discover we only have to look at the world around us to find out that whether it's in the heartache of war like announced this weekend in God's own city, Jerusalem, the city of peace. Or a more personal level, the conflicts of our most cherished relationships. In the conflicts of our most cherished relationships where it often causes the most heartache in our daily lives. And so what we discover here, friends, is this. That God's mercy is needed in our world and in our lives. For we know what it feels like when real peace comes. 
We see the need for it right now in this very moment. And what Daniel was praying for and what the Jews of the first century were praying for would be a Messiah that would overcome this exile, that would overcome the Romans, that would overcome this world. And what they got and what we got is a Messiah who did so much more than that. Who comes to overthrow sin and death itself on a scale not fully yet imagined. And it was a scale that began way back in Leviticus 25. As he was reading the end of the exile prophesied by Jeremiah, he was also hearing echoes of Leviticus, who told us that in God's timing for Sabbath, that there wouldn't just be a weekly Sabbath or yearly celebrations, but that uh, every seven years of seven, or seven times seven of Sabbaths on the After the 49th year, there would be a special celebration called the year of Jubilee. And this year of Jubilee, the debts would be paid in full. Land that had been leveraged would be returned to the original owners. Land itself would receive rest. And it would be a year of Jubilee and freedom and celebration. Interestingly enough, as best we can tell, that year of Jubilee was never practiced. That is until Jesus came to finally fulfill it. And so, this apocalyptic language of symbolism, this is where we begin to get debates. Did Daniel mean, if you keep reading later in the chapter, 70 weeks? That is 77 24-hour days. That's one side of the scale. Or did Daniel mean what we understand from Leviticus 25, these seven sevens? Seven, after all, is a complete number. Seven times seven, 70, 10, another complete number of completion in the Bible. And these 70 weeks are actually... As some will argue, 490 years. Now, I don't want to get you all uh, riled up in all the numerology of this, but I'll just give you a little glimpse of it. And so because of that, some would believe that this 490 years would fairly rightly and approximately usher in the Messianic era when Jesus came in. Another scholar who wrote a commentary on the book of Daniel. Actually, it's just a book on chapter 9 itself. Who would argue that when you get to the 62nd week, and I won't get into those details either right now, that is when the Messiah will come. And in fact, he measured the number of days. He literally counted the number of days from this time of Daniel because the years are counted differently with the number of days in, in, in those many years. And by his calculations, at the 62nd week, it was Palm Sunday. 
ushering in the oncoming Messiah. Now, I like very much what scholar uh, Wendy Weider uh, noted. She said that because this language is apocalyptic, it's right for us to understand it symbolically. And because our God, who is Lord over time, we shouldn't also be surprised if this symbolism doesn't align or impact with history either. Whether you calculate it to the the first day of Holy Week or not, the idea of jubilee, the idea of God himself accomplishing this, the idea that God, as we'll read in verse 23, greatly loves his people. That he's doing something even bigger than first imagined is clear. So don't lose the forest for the trees here. A jubilee is coming and it is only finally going to be completed by the one who has great mercy. And as we read in this text, it is not mercy because of our righteousness, but because of God's great mercy. It is, as one songwriter put it, Jesus is our jubilee. And so he gives us as Jeremiah write in chapter 29, a future and a hope, plans for good. So how do we live out our faith in this secular world that we do what Daniel did here in chapter 9 and we come to the Lord with a repentant heart and we pray. We don't point over there and although it is on occasion important for us to call Right, right, and wrong, wrong. It always comes from an attitude of repentance. And so, God's people themselves are called to repent, and so are we. To be anchored in the Word. It's no wonder much of Nehemiah's prayer was based that would come later as he prayed uh, before leading the people in to uh, back into Israel, and then again afterwards, a prayer of repentance modeled after Daniel's. It doesn't and shouldn't surprise us that even comments by Jesus in Luke 17 about the unworthy servant are echoes of this same prayer. We're called to come to the Lord in prayer and repentance because of reading His Word. In the Lutheran Confessions, in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, it cites Daniel 9 and his prayer. It supports and justifies many of our doctrines of justification that this prayer relies on. The mercy of God. So when we're anchored in the Word, we are, our very lives are shaped by it. And it reminds us of who we rely on, as Daniel is reminded of that. As things are different than he first thought they would be, that God's scale is bigger and that he's doing more than first imagined. We know that the power of mercy in relationship is critical. We know it on a personal level. When someone says to us, I forgive you because mom said to tell them that I forgive you, right? Compared to when a relationship is broken and that person knows what you've done and they say, I forgive you. 
and what it feels like and what it is and the peace that it brings to us and the peace that God will bring to his world. Because, as God says in verse 23, we are greatly loved. Friends, I want us to hold on to this, yes, difficult chapter of Daniel today with this truth that is so clear. That we are greatly loved by God. And that God has orchestrated all of history so that we can be part of His story. God has orchestrated all of history so that we can be part of His story. So let's not rewrite it. Let's be read by it. Let us not restructure it, but instead receive it. Let's not just recommend uh, our changes and our own ideas, but let's reorder our daily lives around God's Word. And let us be read, and as we read it, repent. And let that jubilee come to us now that was fulfilled by Jesus that we can receive and now share with the world. A jubilee that brings freedom and joy and that we can share now with this broken world so in need of peace. This is the promise that God has given us. He is doing so much more. And He's doing it then. He's doing it when our Lord Jesus came the first time. And He's doing it now. And He will bring it to completion when He comes again. So hear this promise. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, verse 23, a word went out. The word. And I have come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved. Amen.